This podcast is brought to you by Touch Alignment. Welcome to Tal Radio English. This is CXO Showtime with your host Akshay. Good education is essential for kids because it provides them with the necessary skills and knowledge to succeed in life. A good education can help children develop their critical thinking and problem-solving skills, increase their confidence and self-esteem, and prepare them for a successful future. One such organization is 10,000 Degrees, which is working to achieve educational equality to support students from low-income group. We have with us Caroline Silverstein, Chief Development Officer at 10,000 Degrees. She's joined the development team at 10,000 Degrees in 2014 as a very critical time in the organization. After decades of serving students from low-income backgrounds in Marin County, 10,000 Degrees was embarking on a new five-year strategic plan to grow their college success model to serve thousands of more Bay Area students. In 2018, Caroline joined the organization's senior leadership team and also built out regional advisory boards to increase visibility and support for their growing organization. Caroline has previously served as a senior program manager at CRDF Global and holds an MA in international affairs from George Washington University and BA from College of Worcester. Caroline, welcome to the show. We are pleased to have you with us. And I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you. Let's talk about the beginning of 10,000 Degrees. When was it started and how? Well, 10,000 Degrees actually has a long history. We were formed in 1981 when the organization started. It was called the Marin Education Fund. And it was started by a group of community leaders in Marin County who believed in the power of higher education Um, and wanted to start a scholarship organization to help students, you know, reach college. And um, that was sort of the inspiration behind the organization. I would say in um, 1999, our current uh, president and CEO, Kim Mazuka, joined the organization as the president. And she really looked at um, who 10,000 Degrees was serving at the time and said, you know what, we can do more. We can do more to be meeting the students with the most financial need. And so she really, um, um, along with the board of directors at the time, implemented some changes in how we were doing our outreach to student, students and our program model so that we were really starting to reach students with the most financial need. And, and that was a really critical time in the organization's change. And then, you know, close to 2010, um, the organization changed its name to its current name, 10,000 Degrees. Right. And it's a very interesting and very curious name. What's the thought process of coming out with this name, 10,000 Degrees? I think the board of directors at the time, you know, they wanted something that, first of all, was beyond Marin because they knew that the organization was growing that they had a successful program model and that they wanted to grow the organization to serve students outside of Marin. So they felt it was really important to, to drop Marin from, from the organization's name. And 10,000 degrees felt aspirational. Um, I've heard it's also the temperature of the sun. So it's, it's, it's something that is, um, I think, sort of like 
If you think about students soaring, if you think um, also aspirational as in reaching that many students. Right. That's a very uh, thought-provoking uh, 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 name of any organization that we could actually think about. You know, it was very intriguing for me to also try and understand what it can be, right? I was contemplating, is it because of the altitude? Was that the thought? I mean, that's the kind of a higher um, uh, eagle-like visibility that you would want to have, right? I mean, exactly. Uh, exactly. right, there you go. And then, but, uh, you know, I mean, it's a great thing that you got this actually happening out there for the students. Uh, what is the actual mission and vision uh, that is driving the organization? So, I mean, our mission is really grounded in achieving educational equity. And we do that through supporting students from low-income backgrounds to and through college so that they can realize really their full potential and go on to positively impact their communities and the world. And that's what our students and alumni are doing every single day. So it's um, it's a mission really, you know, means a lot for our, our communities and our society and something that you know, we all believe really at or at ten thousand degrees. I think our staff and and leadership really believe very strongly in. And do you align with the objectives of uh, UN Global Sustainable Goals uh, for diversity, equity, and inclusion? And how are you committed to it? Yeah, we've done. Um, we do. I mean, I think that when you think about diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's so connected to ten thousand degrees mission. But even when you know. That is our mission. It doesn't mean that we don't internally continue to kind of strive to uphold that. It's something we're continuously working on. Um, you know, and even in the last few years, you know, doing a lot of work internally on just acknowledging where we might have had policies or programs in place that were leading to inequities, acknowledging it and, and looking at how to dismantle them and put better policies in place. For example, I just think internally we've done a lot of work around um, on our hiring practices and making sure that we really have a, pipe, a leadership pipeline within the organization. Um, and, you know, 10,000 degrees, our program model is to hire for our fellow positions, which are student-facing positions. We hire, um, you know, alumni of our programs or individuals that have very similar backgrounds to the students that we serve. And so we have so many alumni that work for 10,000 degrees. And what's been really exciting over the last few years is just to see some of these former fellows now in leadership positions all across the organization, in our finance, in HR, on my development team, you know, in our scholarships team, and um, we have many alumni that are now directors in the organization. Um, and that's been, I think, um, just a really important development in, in, in really kind of putting better policies in place to make sure that we've got that kind of leadership pipeline and opportunities for growth within the organization. Our board of directors has also established a DEI committee. Um, they're doing a lot of thinking on the board level about just how structural inequities you know, um, impact our organization and how best to uh, address it. A couple of weeks ago, I attended along with our board, a DEI mini retreat where they were just, you know, looking at those sort of questions of power, of privilege, thinking about, you know, 
how different situations might be for our students compared to a board member and just looking at, you know, thinking, doing some soul searching, thinking, talking with each other, sharing ideas. Um, and that was really great to see at the board level. We also have a DEI committee of staff across the organization made up from um, both senior leadership throughout the organization to our fellows that um, are reviewing uh, responses um, from staff from our culture survey and then making recommendations on how we can, you know, improve or take any look at any policies. Right. And uh, Carolyn, as you understand, right, uh, student life uh, varies from different stages. Kids get into uh, the pre-primary middle school and then on to the high school and all. At what stage of life of a student, uh, you get typically involved with identifying certain students and helping them out. Where do you actually start beginning to get involved? So I would say... um for most of our program areas where we're really starting to get involved is their junior year of high school. We have programming over the summer called our College Opportunity Summit that is available to students in all of the uh, Bay Area counties where we serve. And we have the, this College Opportunity Summit gives our students a lot of information on just starting to think through the financial aid process, the college process. And that's, that's where students can start to get linked up with our fellows who are on our partner school campuses. Um, and we're serving in eight Bay Area counties, San Mateo, Santa Clara, Marin, Napa, San Francisco, uh, Sonoma, and uh, Lake counties. So then once one, the senior year, we have uh, our fellows on our partner school campuses actually working directly with our students. We meet our students where they are. So in the lunchroom, um, going into their maybe government or civics classes and giving workshops, they're available as an on-site resource to really help our students complete the FAFSA, which is the free financial aid form, government, U.S. government form that students need to complete to receive their Pell Grant. Or if they're an undocumented student, it would be the California Dream Act. And so we help our students um, complete those forms. They can be they can be very confusing forms if you don't have some guidance. And, um, you know, most of the students that we serve are first-generation students. And so while their families are very supportive of them uh, going to college, they often don't have the knowledge of how the U.S., you know, college system works. And so getting those, getting that assistance from our fellows is just really important. Yeah, and then is it, is it also true that the students don't require any GP or test course to participate uh, for any aid that they're looking for? Is that correct? That is correct. You know, we think of ourselves, we are equity focused and student centered. And part of that is being really community based in our scholarship versus having a select in or merit based scholarship. So there's no GPA requirement to um, to apply or to receive our scholarship. And once once a student is in college, uh, we do have you know a, a GPA in the sense that they need to be in good academic standing and they need to um, be taking a certain number of credits. So once they're receiving our scholarship, but to actually access our scholarship, you know, a lot of times um, students from low-income backgrounds have not had the same access to other external resources, 
They are often working while they're going to school. And so it's really important to not put that barrier of a GPA in, in really helping them access, you know, college and their full potential. And so basically, once a student comes, comes under the umbrella of 10,000, right? I mean, that's where they started getting nurtured and all. And what's about the web grants for students' accounts? Uh, can you talk about it a little bit more about the web grants? Oh, the web grants. Yeah. Um, so those are how students manage their state financial aid, which is called the Cal Grant. They We work, we 10,000 Degrees partners very closely with CSAC. Um, and that is a California organization that a- awards state aid. So we're, we have a close partnership with CSAC. They really rely on us and some of our partner areas to communicate and to help um, help spread the word about the Cal grants to our students and get students set up with those web grants and access them. So it's something that is um, free for every for every California student to set up, but to access that those Cal grants, they need to set up a web a web grant account. And that's one of the things that 10,000 Degrees Fellows can help students um, set up. There's a website where you go in and create your web grants. And how are you achieving the objective of uh, more financial support and less student debt? That's a very, very interesting topic that you're talking about uh, as part of assisting the students, right? I mean, obviously, like when students take financial aids and all, right, I mean, uh, they also tend to get into some kind of a loan or debt around it. So how are you trying to balance that and uh, create a scenario for more proactive uh, learning rather than getting buckled under the pressure of loans, right? It's, I think you, you've hit on something that is just so incredibly important, and it starts really early with 10,000 degrees in our education. So um, this past week, I've been at a couple of them. We do Money Matters workshops, um, which are really an opportunity through experiential learning. We go into, our, into partner high schools, and we actually, through a, um, through a, a simulation, we have students as if they've just received their award letter for school from their college with their financial aid package. And then they have to go around to different sort of tables. And as if they're trying to find their housing, pay for their transportation, um, pay for their meal plan, pay for their books, sign up for their class. And through that learning, just the expense related to college. And then we kind of go through what grants are versus loans are, and really try to explain to the students that, you know, loans are to be avoided when possible, because, you know, explaining how those have to be, um, have to be paid back, and that they're, that they're, with a lot of our students, helping them learn how to self-advocate for themselves, talking to the financial aid offices, um, making sure that our students complete the FAFSA, that they have their web grant account, that they're accessing the free financial aid at the state level, that they're applying for the 10,000 degree scholarship, that they may be applying for other external scholarships to really minimize the amount of loan debt that our students are incurring. And it is one of, um, it's one of our real um, success points in that our students on average are taking out $1,000 of student are incurring $1,000 of debt of education related debt every each year. And the national average is 18,000. And when you just think about what that means for 
you know, somebody graduating from college and, you know, not having that huge amount of debt, um, it's, it can really change, you know, the choices and opportunities that you have post-college. And it's a unique model that 10,000 Degrees believe in. Uh, I mean, basically all centered around the uh, potential of all the students uh, that you have got and also seen that there is a lot of, of, you did talk about it earlier on in our conversation about the fellowship programs. You're trying to bring in uh, interested uh, uh, participants into the program and try to work through on that front. What, what it takes to build such a model and uh, what kind of a challenges do you generally come across uh, when you're trying to execute the model in terms of a successful roadmap? I think, um, you know, we have 10,000 degrees has grown quite a bit um, in the last few years. We've expanded to many, um, many new areas. You know, we've launched our programming in the San Jose area and Eastside Union High School District. Um, We have grown to seven partner high schools in San Francisco. Um, We now are serving over 3,000 students. Every year, we have 3,000 students that are enrolled in college, receiving the 10,000 degree scholarship and receiving support from our fellows. And through our high school programming, we are reaching 12,000 students annually. So that's it's 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 a lot of students that we're impacting in a positive way. And um, to really be able to have grown our programs like that, it has taken it's taken just a lot of generous supporters. Um, we received support from our from individuals, from corporate partners, and from our foundations. And then we've had to be really thoughtful in how we how we grow. Um, you know, one of the things that our um, chief strategy officer, who really um, holds our relationships with our schools, is really building before we start in a new program area is really understanding the demographics and the needs of that school system, you know, getting to know the school leaders, making sure that they understand 10,000 degrees and our goals for our students so that we can really work together. Um, and that's in, that's incredibly important, you know, having that buy-in from the school, from the school leadership, from the teachers, from the counselors, so that we can all work together to best serve our students. Um, and that's something that we really think about when we decide, you know, what which which new schools to sort of uh, to start serving students is the the need of need level of the of the community, um, and then um, you know making sure that we have those that sort of buy in and close partnerships with the schools. Yeah, I would like to understand about it. You talked about the support, right, for the organization. Support is very, very critical for any organization to have a very uh, strong foundation and uh, lead the way forward. Uh, how is this support coming in for 10,000 Degrees? I mean, do you partner with and in what levels do you generally partner with? So we, um, for our, we have, let's see, this year we have an $18 million budget. So, um, you know, that's, that is um, a lot to fundraise for every year, which is which is my job. Um, uh, we receive um, about it's close to now. I would say sixty percent of our funding comes from institutions. Um, so we have um, many generous foundations that support our work, and about the other forty percent comes from individuals. And we have you know, about um, 1,800 individuals that make generous gifts to 10,000 degrees every year. 
And so part of our challenge is just continuing to raise the visibility of 10,000 degrees in our new communities to make sure that people are aware of the impact that we're making of the students that we're serving, that they understand, you know, why it's important um, to, um, to make sure that we are working towards educational equity, that we're supporting students from low-income backgrounds. I think increasingly corporate partners understand the value proposition of partnering with 10,000 degrees because they're very concerned about workforce development. And they understand that the best way to make sure that they have a workforce for the future is investing in education. Um, and so we are, we are corporate partnerships continue to grow. Um, and it's not just with our corporate partnerships. It's not just about the dollars. It's also, um, you know, volunteering as career mentors for our students, um, giving our students um, networking opportunities, internship opportunities. Um, our students tend to be um, under-resourced. They don't always have the, the sort of networks in place. Um, and that's how a lot of people get their first jobs is sort of through who you know. So making sure that we um, give those students opportunities, our students opportunities to um, get work valuable work experience through internships, to have networking opportunities, to have co career coaches are all really important too. Absolutely. And then uh, the key is like what kind of uh, support can we provide, not just from the financial or the structural support that you would have, but also in terms of uh, the uh, intellectual support, uh, right? I mean, and, and you have these programs of young professionals, alumni council, and then uh, you're also looking forward to uh, bring on board uh, fellow fellows as well, right? What does it actually mean now? If there are people listening to our uh, interview over here, they want to basically get associated as part of a fellowship, right? I mean, or, or be a part of your alumni. What are the ways and means that they could get collaborative with, with 10,000 degrees? So just to clarify, our fellows are actually um, paid, paid uh, positions, paid fully benefited positions at 10,000 degrees. And those fellows are usually are usually within the first couple of years from graduating from college themselves and from similar backgrounds as their students. So low-income backgrounds, first-generation students, and they're committing to a two to three-year fellowship with 10,000 degrees. And they are sort of the engine for our, our growth. They're the ones that are working on our high school and college campuses directly with our students. So um, we now have over 50 fellows working for 10,000 degrees. Um, so the fellowship program has really grown. Where people can volunteer for 10,000 degrees is a volunteer. Um, one of the things that we have continued to grow, and I just talked about it a little bit, is our career success program. So we are, um, can we recognize that, you know, while our mission is really about um, supporting students to and through college, that after college, that transition from college to career can be really difficult and students need that guidance. And so we have set, we have established as part of our new strategic plan, a um, career success program. And in, for our career success program, we're really looking for volunteer uh, career mentors that can have those um, 
everything from a career exploration conversation with our students to helping them prepare for their first interview, to helping them understand whether graduate school is necessary to move forward in the career that they're they're thinking about, um, to help them, like I talked about, network. Um, And so uh, we've set up a career mentoring program and we're actively looking for career mentors, especially student uh, individuals um, that um, themselves are first generation or uh, people of color. And uh, there are certain industries that we're also really looking for uh, career mentors, Um, healthcare, technology, um, we have, we finance, um, you know, there's, there's several different, those are some of the more popular industries for our, our students. Right. And then um, the first gen students, right, that is very important for us to understand over here. They do not generally have any support structure who can guide them in terms of understanding the topics that they take in school and all, right? And uh, 10,000 Degrees has come up with this initiative, Achieve. What are the nitty gritties of that program and uh, how can students uh, be a part of Achieve initiative? Achieve initiative. Um, so our, um, you know, I think when we are are thinking about um, first generation students, you're right. It's it's really it's really which are most of the students that we serve. It's um, giving them the information and the resources, and we do a lot of workshops to also um, reach parents because you know first generation parents they want to they also want to be able to support their students and they often just don't have the you know the knowledge and the experience and so we do a lot of workshops especially in the fall to help parents understand um financial aid so evening time workshops workshops in um other languages you know we have um we have staff that are bilingual um, to really help reach our students. We also have a lot of video information and videos that we have a, a huge amount of virtual curriculum so that students that can't get to one of our workshops because of school or family or work commitments can access those materials um, online or um you know, get a tutorial that has been um, previously recorded. So that's, I think, really important is is the fact that we've got all of that virtual curriculum as well. And it's accessible anytime. I give, I believe it's a part of the virtual toolkits that is provided to the students. Yes, it's all a part of our virtual toolkits. And that's something that, you know, our virtual curriculum really took off during the pandemic. When back three years ago, three long years ago, you know, we had to pivot really quickly to reach our students. And one of the ways when we weren't able to be on high school campuses and working with our students directly, our program teams pivoted and it was really clear that they needed that virtual curriculum. And so we started developing that. But as we came out of the pandemic, we realized that for some students, they're just not going to be able to access that in person. And it's important to continue to have that virtual curriculum. It can also be kind of when you're hearing information for the first time at a workshop, it can be, it's a lot of information. It can be overwhelming. So having those toolkits available afterwards to kind of review, to to be able to make sure you've got everything that you need to kind of move forward in the financial aid and college process is really important. 
The one other thing I was going to mention as part of our virtual curriculum is that we do train the trainer workshops, which are um, six workshops that we do over the course of the year for educators and counselors. And in that, we're really, um, we've really developed um, some best practices in how to um, support students, how to support um, undocumented students um, and, and uh for, for example, but just these train the trainer workshops are where we can connect with educators and counselors. They're free for educators and counselors that work with um, students to sign up for. And then they can learn from our fellows and program managers about financial aid and how best to support students with accessing, you know, free financial aid and applying for college. Uh, when we talk about the aids and all, right? I mean, what kind of scholarships uh, are available uh, or offered to the students, and how can they benefit them professionally? Um, so, us, uh, you know, the scholarship piece is incredibly important. Um, first, ten thousand degrees has its own scholarship. Last year, we gave out over six million dollars in scholarships to three thousand students, college students. Um, this year, we just closed our um, scholarship for um, new students. And we received 5,000 applications so far from both new students and renewal students. So the scholarship is incredibly important. And as we've talked about with our scholarship, we don't have a GPA requirement and uh, or test scores. And we support students that are undocumented which is which is also um, really important because undocumented students cannot access federal Pell, Grant, Pell Grants. So we have the 10,000 degrees scholarship, but beyond that, um, 10,000 degrees partners with many organizations to administer their scholarship. And we call these donor advised scholarships. And um, for example, a company um, may, may um, come to us and they really want to invest in students that are pursuing careers in engineering. And so they will provide us um, the funds to administer their scholarship for engineering students. And so then we, we take care of the whole application process for them and, and, and actually administer the scholarship check to the student. So we have many donor advised scholarships across many different sectors from engineering to helping uh, to law students, um, to the arts, to medicine, a lot of different donor-advised scholarships. And all of well, that can be found mm-hmm. on, our, on our website. Great. And uh, from a futuristic plan or vision standpoint, right, is 10,000 degrees looking to go beyond the Bay Area counties? Or you want to focus on the current challenges within Bay Area? I think we're looking at both. I mean, one thing that, you know, in our, we are in the, embarked on a new strategic plan in 2021 that was really about continuing to scale to serve more students. So with right now, we've talked about the fact that we have 3,000 students in college. By 2026, we want to be having, supporting 5,000 students annually in college. Um, So we, we're in the middle of that growth plan to scale. And part of that is to really deepen our support in our existing program areas in the Bay Area. But then in addition to that, to look at one new market. 
So our board of directors, we have not made the decision where that new market is, whether or not it's going to be a new Bay Area market or it's going to be outside of the Bay Area. But that's something that our board of directors is definitely, you know, considering is whether or not to move beyond the Bay. Um, One thing that can be, you know, from a development point of view is that some national foundations are really looking for organizations that have a larger footprint. So that is one thing that we are considering, but it's not the only thing. Okay. And uh, you also do a lot of uh, summits and all the events, right? Targeting the college students or uh, the high school students and all. Uh, How often do you conduct these summits? Uh, So the College Readiness Opportunity Summit is in the summer. Um, that is a, um, we are going to offer the summit in each of our program regions. So there'll be, um, you know, several of the summits, you know, we'll have one in Napa, we'll have one in Sonoma, we'll have one in Marin, we'll have one in the South Bay. Um, and those are one day intensive summits. As far as how we, um, how often we're supporting students, you know, our students, our fellows are at high school campuses all school year long, usually um, four days a week, Monday through Thursday, working with students. And then what I haven't talked about yet is that, you know, we support our students to and through college. So we also have fellows on our community college um, campuses. About 40% of 10,000 degree students after high school um, enroll in community college. And that is the next step in their sort of pathway. And then we're really trying to support our students in accessing, continuing to access financial aid, make sure they're getting enrolled for the right classes at community college, and then really work with them to transfer to four-year. And 10,000 degrees students have are three times more likely than the national average to actually transfer from community college to four-year. So we're really proud of that transfer rate and continuing and working to to improve it. And then once students are at four-year, they're receiving kind of remote support from our fellows. We have an entire team of fellows that are dedicated to our four-year students. And they're they're working with our four-year students, again, on um, connecting them to any sort of extra resources they need on campus, making sure that they're each year reapplying for their financial aid, um, helping them access, you know, as they get further along in their four-year, our career success team. So fellows are just really critical to reaching our students. Yeah, absolutely. I think they are the backbone of the whole program. They they are very vital at all levels, right? Even at the yep. school level, high school level, college level, and not just getting them involved in the beginning, but actually trying to get them through to the college, through the college. The whole program, I mean, they, they have to be there with the students and try to make them more successful. And the statistics that you shared are very, very impressive and very motivating to understand it. Well, one last question, Caroline. Uh, how can the people join the movement of 10,000 degrees? Well, I definitely appreciate that question, especially in, in my position. And there's so many ways that you can um, join. So the, to go to just to see all of the different ways, you can go to 10,000degrees.org and in our drop down menu, choose join the movement. And that'll give you um, links to um, financially support the organization as to become a donor and be a part of our one amazing community of supporters. And we would deeply appreciate 
um, any financial support of any amount. Um, you can get uh, you can get connected with us as I've talked about as a volunteer, as a career mentor, as um, you know, volunteering to help with a career workshop, to serve as a career mentor. Uh, and we're also looking to build out our advisory boards in each of our regions. And our advisory boards, for example, our advisory board um, in the South Bay is, um, is made up of individuals that represent important corporate partners. We have the superintendent of Eastside Union High School District, Glenn Vanderzee serves on our um, advisory board, so educational leaders. Um, we have, um, and just community connectors, because one of the challenges is really continuing to kind of raise the visibility of the organization so that um, more people are aware and, and can kind of support our work. And the advisory board um, members really help us in, in raising visibility and connecting us to new resources for our students, as well as being kind of, um, you know, the, the, the challenges and landscape in, in the Bay Area can really be different depending on where we are. So the needs in Sonoma may be very different than the needs in San Jose, for example. And so those regional advisory boards can really give us that regional context that we need to best be meeting our students and to be, and to be growing to support them. Thank you very much, Caroline. Pleasure to have you over here. It was great having a conversation with you. I'm going to take a very important uh, point today, which is the first generation students. It means a lot. It means a lot. And uh, I think uh, you are aiming at the right thing, right? The first gen students are the most deprived kids who have no guidance in whatsoever in how to steer and structure their careers and growth plan. I think it's a fabulous and a very wonderful effort that you guys are doing. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Akshay, to come today and to share with your listeners more about 10,000 Degrees. It's been a real privilege to just be able to talk about our work and something I just, I just believe in so wholeheartedly. So thank you. Thank you very much, Carolyn. Have a very good day. Thank you. You have just listened to Tall Radio Podcast. For more podcasts, visit www.touchalife.org.